Well, if you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and join me in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. That is the third of the books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, you'll find Luke chapter 2 in your Bible this morning. And as you're doing that, let me just share, we began this sermon series by sharing that it would be tragic uh, for any of us if we just allowed Christmas to come and go without marveling and beholding the wondrous miracle that is Christmas. You see, Christmas is not about gifts and toys and waiting on St. Nicholas. No, it's about a Savior's birth. It's about beholding the beauty of who Christ is and resting in that miracle. And so my hope and my prayer during this entire sermon series has been that we would come and behold the wonder and the mystery of what the heavenly host proclaimed that faith-filled night when God condescended to mankind, that he took on flesh, became one of us so that we could know him, and that we would come and behold Emmanuel, God with us. That's why, God's, that's why Emmanuel is one of my favorite names for God, because it shares that our God is intimate with us. He doesn't just spin the world like a top and then walk away. No, he walks with us through every valley, every hardship, every moment of tragedy and loneliness that we face in 2020, no matter if we had joy or glad tidings this Christmas or whether or not we spent Christmas over a Zoom call because we couldn't be with our family. No, Emmanuel is with us. And so regardless of where we are in our journey of life, Christ is the Savior for all people. And so let us come and behold our God this morning. Let us see our King with fresh eyes and a new heart as we look at the promise of God with us made a sure reality when Christ was born in a manger. Will you stand with me at the reading of God's Word? We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 this morning. I'll read out loud. You read along silently in your copy of God's Word. Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you, Father, that your word is true. Lord, this is not a hoax. Lord, this is not a fairy tale. This is truth. This is an historical event where all of history is hinged on this moment that you stepped into creation. That, Lord, you wrapped yourself in flesh, became one of us so that we could know you the glorious impossible became a reality. So Lord, I thank you that you are the living God. You are the true God. And that Lord, you invite your people to come. That Lord, even though we all have walked various paths of unfaithfulness, you invite us to come to you and to know you and to taste and to see that the Lord is is good. 
So, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would be the teacher in the next few moments. Lord, as we open up your word together and as we look at it, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would allow the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I ask and I pray for this in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there are some stories that we never grow tired of. At least that's true for me. In fact, if you invite me this afternoon over to your house to watch Empire Strikes Back, I will watch it with you with great joy in my heart, even though I've seen that movie probably uh, at least maybe over 100 times. I can quote it. In fact, uh, we were watching it um, not too long ago at the house, and I could quote every scene of that movie. And uh, so it's a, great, it's a great movie if you've never seen it. Um, but we love movies like that. We love stories like that. In fact, there's a book that uh, I've read almost every year since uh, junior year of high school called Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, it's by a former sports writer, now just an author named Mitch Album. And I love reading that story. It's a story that my mom uh, and I enjoy. Uh, and maybe you're like me as well, and you enjoy a Christmas story, a Christmas Carol. Uh, I love that movie with Ebenezer Scrooge, preferably the Patrick Stewart version, although I do love the George C. Scott version. We love stories that invite us into its drama, right? We like to be lost in it. We like to enjoy it. Even though we know it by heart, we go to it time and time again. Well, that's what we are doing right now. I know for many of you, as soon as I said Luke 2, you could probably hear Linus uh, speaking. This is a familiar passage. My hope and my prayer is that as we come to the familiarity of the story, that we would look at it with fresh eyes and that we would see what the gospel writer wants us to see, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts and our minds and invite us to come and to behold Emmanuel. But before we dive into the passage that we read this morning, I feel like we need to do a little bit of background because we are jumping into the middle of a story And so in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, the gospel writer shares that a census has taken place. The Roman Roman, uh, ruler, Caesar Augustus, has called for a census to take place within the then known world. And so he calls all the people back to their own hometown so that they can perform a census so that, in essence, they can know how much taxes they can get from each region. And so so Joseph takes his betrothed, Mary, who is great with child, on the difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is the city of David. And what I want you to take away from this is that God is sovereign over that of a pagan ruler's thought life. God is sovereign over all areas of life. He was orchestrating all of history to come to this moment, and so he puts the idea into Caesar Augustus, hey, you want more money? Let's do a census. And he is calling all this to take place so that Mary and Joseph find their way into Bethlehem to fulfill the scriptures. And this was a 90 miles journey south of Nazareth. And it would take anywhere between four to seven days of hard travel and added to that a very pregnant fiance. And you probably have a uh, imagination how difficult this is of traveling like this. And then verse six shares this wonderful miracle that while they were in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The God of all creation, the God who spoke the worlds into existence, humbles himself to be born a helpless baby and placed into a feeding trough of animals, all so he could come and to save the unfaithful from their sins. And that's the first thing I want us to look at this morning 
from the text we read, that the message of the angel was for you, the unfaithful. While Jesus was being born in a stable in the same region were shepherds who received an incredible message from an unsuspecting messenger. Verse 9 shares that the angel appeared to them. Now, imagine with me for just a moment. The shepherds there around their campfire, some of them are doing sheep duties. And then an angel of the Lord is before them. Imagine the terror of that moment. Because the text says that the glory of the Lord shone around the angel. And they were filled with fear. But I love what the angel says. Fear not. And the angel begins to share the message to the shepherds that night. A message to the unfaithful. The shepherds represent the lowliest of the lows in this time, uh, in this period of Jewish society. You see, no one aspired to be a shepherd, okay? This was not a great career move. Gone were the days of Moses and Abraham and David, uh, where you would consider that to be a good career decision. Now, shepherds are the lowliest of lows. They stink, and they probably don't look pretty. They probably haven't taken a bath or combed their beard in quite a while. And so the shepherds are the lowliest of lows. They are the insignificant of society. And I say all that to say that the shepherds in this story represent us. We are the insignificant of society. We are the lowliest of lows. Now you may be thinking, but Dave, that's not true about me. You don't know what I have in my 401k. You don't know what's in uh, what I have in the bank. You don't know where I am in society, where all the accolades that I've received. You don't understand where I am. You think that I'm the lowliest of lows, and yeah, I do. I am too. We all are. The reason why we are the lowliest of lows, the reason why we are the unfaithful is, in fact, because of our sin. Our sin nature brings us to that point. Our sin nature causes us to be the lowliest of lows because of our posture of rebellion towards God. We are enemies of God, as the scriptures say. And so I can't think of a more place and insignificant place that I want to be than the place where I'm an enemy of God because of my sin. We are the unfaithful, each and every one of us, because of the things that we've done, because because of the thought lives that we've had because of the actions of the words that we've spoken, because of the skeletons in our closet, we are the unfaithful. But that's okay. That's okay because the message of the angel to the shepherd was for us as well, the unfaithful. Look back at the text with me and see in verse 10 the hope that comes. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news of what? Great joy. That will be for all the people. You see, the angel does not bring a message of condemnation to these shepherds. No, he brings a message that is good news of great joy. He brings a message of hope to the shepherds. And what is this message of hope? It is the gospel. You see, that God had come into the world to redeem the lost to himself. And this message of joy that will be for all the people is that hope had come. And so that's the second thing I want us to see this morning is that the message of the angel was that hope had come. Look back at the text with me and see this hope that had come into the world. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. To the unfaithful people, this is a message of hope that is shocking, that Christ was born for you and for me. For all those who would sin against God, Christ was born. That a Savior has been born for sinners, 
Notice in the text that this is the only time in the Gospels where we see this phrase used. Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the only time that we see these titles of Jesus brought together like this. The angel is bringing us rich theology that I want us to unpack this morning as we look at these titles that bring hope to the unfaithful. The first, the angel says, a Savior. He will save his people from their sins. No matter if we have a thousand lifetimes, we cannot repay our sin debt to God. No, the wages of sin is death. And nothing that we can do, nothing that we can bring to the table can save us from our sins. No, we needed someone to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is what Christ did. That Christ came into sinful humanity, wrapped himself in flesh, became one of us so that we could know him. That he took on our infirmities on the cross, that he took on our condemnation. This is the Savior that was born for us. And I say, church, what a Savior we have. What an amazing God who loves us to such lengths that he would come into creation to save sinful humanity. And I love what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that speaking of Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. John Piper, speaking about this particular verse of, in Luke's gospel, shares, if you don't need a Savior, you don't need Christmas. If you don't need a Savior, you don't need Christmas. But if you understand your sinfulness and how unfaithful you are to God every day, you understand that you need a Savior. You understand that we do need Christmas. We need a Savior to save us from our sins. But let me just add this. If you feel like you need Him, but only as a Savior to save you from your infirmities, your health issues, or from your financial woes, or from whatever issue you may be facing today that's not related to your sin issue, then He's not your Savior. Now, I'm not saying that God does not come into our lives and help us. I'm not saying that He's not Emmanuel who walks with us through every moment. But what I'm saying is that the primary reason that Jesus came into this world was not to save you from financial woes or from an uh, issue of life, but rather from your sinfulness. That is the reason that Christ came. Christ didn't come so that you could have all the riches of this life. He came to save you from your sins so that you could join Him in the next life and have all the blessings that were to come. This is the Savior that we have, that He steps into our, our infirmities so that He can redeem us. This is the joy of Christmas. Jesus is the Savior for sinners. Second title that the angel says is this, Messiah. The angel also declares about Jesus that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. He is the one that all of Israel had been waiting for since Genesis 3.15 when sin entered into, the, into all creation and Adam sinned and Eve sinned and God prophesies in Genesis 3.15 that there will, be one, there will be a seed from the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. All of Israel has been waiting for this promised Messiah. Now, I don't have time to share in great detail every, how every story in the Old Testament points to Jesus, but let me just tell you, spoiler alert, every story in the Old Testament points to Christ in some way. Moses points to Christ. David points to Christ. Abraham points to Christ. Samson even points to Christ. Everything points to Christ and to the culmination of this moment when Jesus was born. 
You see, church, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. I love in Peter's confession in Matthew uh, 16, 16, when uh, Peter confesses to Jesus that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. In that moment, Peter says of Jesus that he is the promised messianic king and the son of God, that all of Israel have been waiting for Jesus. You see, Jesus is both king and priest. That's what the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be. They thought first he was going to be a king, and they thought he was going to be a priest. Jesus is both of those. He's a king in the line of David, fulfilling the promise that for David's throne there would be no end, and he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You can read more about that in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is king and priest, and being king means this. He can pardon us from our sins. And being priest means he can intercede for us. I like what Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25. Speaking of Jesus, he is able. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. But the angel also does this declares the divinity of the Christ child. He also says that Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is the maker of all, and he is the ruler of all. John's gospel declares this of the Christ child, and the word who is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. The writer of Hebrews also shares of the supremacy of the Christ child by saying this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And then notice verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear, Jesus is God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. He is of the same substance. Within the Christmas story is the doctrine of the incarnation. And again, the incarnation is just a fancy theological term that describes the miracle that took place that first Christmas morning, that Jesus took on flesh. But he also kept his divinity. You see, Jesus is both fully God and both fully man. That is the miracle of the incarnation. And speaking of this miracle to the shepherds, the angel declares of this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a trough for animals to eat off of, he is the Lord. All of this, all of this creates a message of hope for an unfaithful people. And the angels respond to this message of hope, to this gospel, by praising God for how can they not? How can they not praise God? I love that they, that they allowed this one messenger to come and share the gospel to the shepherds, but then they're like, okay, let's peel back the curtain and let's just praise God for all that he's done, for the fact that all of creation has been waiting for this moment for the gospel to bring forth hope to an unfaithful people. And so they cry out and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. Can I make a point of application for just a second? Does the gospel message that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, 
Does the gospel message that Christ took on your sin, your shame, your guilt at the cross and then conquered it in, conquered it in the resurrection, does that gospel message does it bring forth worship in your heart? Now, I'm not talking about Sunday morning worship, okay? I'm not talking about what we're doing right now, although this is important. I'm talking about everyday worship. Does the gospel bring forth in your life a desire to worship God? Do you just stop in the middle of the craziness of your day and just ponder the fact that God loved you so much that he took on your sin so that you could have his righteousness, that he traded places with you on the cross? Does that stop and make you want to just worship him and just for just a moment just say, thank you, Lord? Does that? Just a point of application. If it doesn't, I would check your heart. Because you've replaced the joy of Christ with an idol. The great reformer says that our hearts are idol-making factories. All we do is produce idols to make worship to. And they never satisfy. You're looking at a person that loves to worship his idols. Before you look at me with a pious look, you do too. That's why we need to stop and pause and remind ourselves of the gospel. Remind ourselves of what Christ did for us. And when we do that, we destroy those idols. And we worship him. How's your worship this morning? But the angels say, glory to God in the highest. Their response is worship. And then notice what the text says that they say at the very end of verse 14. With whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. I stopped and I pondered that. And I went, how is one pleased? How is God pleased with us? How does this happen? It is the gospel. You see... By resting in faith in all that Christ has done for us, that's how God is pleased with us, by resting in the gospel. You see, the gospel in itself is an invitation, is an invitation to come, no matter where you are in your journey of life. The invitation is to come and to see that the Lord is indeed good to sinners, that he saves sinners from their sins, to the weak and to the unstable, to the bitter and to the broken to the barren and waiting ones, to those who are tired of praying, to the guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run. See what your God has done for you. Church, He is the Lamb that was given, slain for our pardon, as the song says. His promise is peace for those who believe. And so the invitation is to come. Though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Come. See what your God has done. Church, yes, Christmas, the Christmas season is over. We're after the 25th. But the invitation of Christmas is always the same. To come and behold the wonder and mystery of Emmanuel. To come and behold the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Are you doing that today? Are you beholding Christ? Are you resting on on the promise? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves today. Come behold the Savior, who is Christ the Lord.
Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much that, Lord, you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That, Lord, you took on our, on our infirmity. You took on, on our sin. You took on, on our shame. And, Lord, I am so thankful that you did that. Where we were powerless to do anything, you stepped in. And that message of hope that the angel gave to the shepherds, is the same message of hope 2,000 years later. That Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, yes, we are an unfaithful people. Yes, Lord, we do love to sin against you. But, Lord, I thank you that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That, Lord, you give the invitation to come. And so, Father, I pray for everyone in this room that, Lord, we would come and behold you. Lord, we're all bringing so many different things to our life right now. So many, so much baggage, so much sin. And, Lord, you say, come. So, Father, I pray that you would destroy the idols, destroy the things that block us from coming, and that, Lord, we would worship you. And we would rest in the promise of Emmanuel. I ask and pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.